have we how have we done this for this many episodes? How many? I mean, there must be more than a hundred. I mean, I know you do other books also, obviously. Yeah. But there also must be more than a hundred and twenty-five Goosebumps books, right? Oh yeah. We haven't run out. So there's, I think we've gotten through the originals, which were, there were like eighty of them, right, Chad? Something like that's yeah, sixty plus. Um, we you do detours like there's like a couple of episodes just for the TV show, and yeah, we did we did a lot of like to choose your own adventure, give yourself goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of ones. Yeah, it, it's Arl's it, Arl's influence extends farther and farther as every year goes past. Um, yeah, I can't uh, believe you remembered there were sixty-two exactly. That's real. Wow. I looked it up. I just looked it up. Wow. You're you're. It feels like a holy number, right? <laughs> you're a bumphead, man. It's like I mean, is it is it like the the original like 151 Pokemon yes. where you just know in your gut yes. that the, the, the you know in your gut that the 152nd was a mistake. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it had, didn't make the cut. They had to stop. Yeah. <laughs> the new ones are just like the new Pokemon. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes you're like, why? This was just one. This was a Pokemon already. Yeah. You didn't need to do this. <laughs> another, another, another fighting fire cat. We've already done this. Yeah. <laughs> I am looking at the pictures of the aliens at my homework creatures, y'all. You mean the movie? The movie the version. Movie. Yes, the movie version. They're something. They're they're a thing. And, um... <laughs> yeah, they don't. So one of the one of the things that's that is so charming about the book is the illustrations uh, by mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. Coville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not so outlandishly intricate that they could not have been brought to live action successfully. <laughs> right, right. I like. I I feel, I feel like the illu- the illustration style was achievable. Yes. and they didn't achieve it. There were no physical laws that were stopping them from doing those. Creatures. No, it could have looked fine. <laughs> Someone in the costumes department of the Aliens at My Homework live action movie was like, you know what, I can do better. <laughs> I got, yeah i mean the, the one i'll give them is i it's it's weird to me that that near as i can tell from looking at this snout is not in the movie when it seems like based on achievability of prosthetics tar gibbons is the one that shouldn't have been in the movie right look at and look at tar gibbons with that extra leg on the on the cover which is he looks tripping. so bad <laughs> it's tripping me out. tar gibbons like Tar Gibbons is described in the book and then in the illustrations as having a lemon-shaped body. That's right. Four four legs, two arms, a neck longer than its arms, and then like a bulbous turtle-like face. Legitimately difficult to translate to live action. Tar Gibbons is kind of crazy looking. Tar Gibbons. And instead of the movie version, I guess if you haven't looked it up, is more of like, uh, what if a, a janitor had a third leg? Yeah, <laughs> it looks like a character that would beat you up in a Star Wars cantina for talking to his friend. Yes, 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 yes. And the the no no attempt at a long neck. No, no. It's got it's got sort of buggy eyes, but not achieving the effect of the uh, the description or the illustration. Marley, do you think that snout is maybe that little pink fuzzy thing? Because I don't think that's plank. That's not plank, right? That's definitely plank. Is that plank? That is, I mean, it has yeah. to be plank. Okay, I love plank. I would die for plank. Uh, so, but but why is why would Plank get in here instead of Snout, who has lines? So, someone had a bias against Snout. Yeah, because well, Snout's not listed on the cast, and neither is Plank. But that's because Plank doesn't talk. Plank doesn't so that talk. Makes sense. Right. Just gonna throw those out there. Maybe there's some sort of like anti. There's some drama around Snout because I was looking for. Uh, well, welcome to Goosebuds, by the way. Hello. Uh, yeah, I, I was. 
I was hedging my bets in case we weren't officially going yet, but then I realized we definitely were. <laughs> we're definitely going. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Chad. I am Paul. Hello. Uh, Kevin is in the uh, Shadow Realm, uh, but he's also editing this episode. So hi, Kevin. We are joined by guest Marley Halpern Grazer. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about children's books from 1993. <laughs> well, you're the right podcast. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this. I'm going to lay it out there. I'm going to I don't I don't give a crap about building any suspense. I love this book. I'm here. I'm here for it and I love it and thank you for bringing it. Yeah, we're doing I did we say that we're 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 reading Aliens Ate My Homework by Bruce Coville, the first of the Rod Albright Alien Adventures series. <laughs> yeah, I was thrown by that. I didn't realize this was like a sub-series. Yeah, he's got, uh, so there's no good name for it. Like, in the actual book, it says, like, Rod Albright and the Galactic Patrol, but mm -hmm. no one uses that as, mm. a, as a naming convention. Uh, but yeah, there's four of them? Four of them. Four of, okay. I, I, I believe it's Aliens Ate My Homework, I Lost My Sneakers in Dimension X, The Search for Snout, and then I think mm -hmm. the second movie is called Aliens Stole My Body, but I think the last, fourth book is called Aliens Stole My Body. Yeah, so do they just jump? We're like, we're not going to get four movies out of this. The, we're we got to go straight to the end. I'm going to just choose to assume that the reason Snout isn't on the cover is they just jumped to the search for Snout. That's what I thought. But no, he's not in the next one either. Oh, my God. Is that a, is that a search for Spock parody title? Was Bruce Koval rough with... Absolutely. Snout dies and they bring... It's exactly Spock. They bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> this book 100% wears its TNG or just Star Trek in general love on its sleeve, without a doubt. Even even more than that, I, I have a feeling the later books don't, they might not fulfill this promise. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to reread them now to see if they do. And I just didn't pick it up as a child. Uh -huh. But so Snout is obviously Spock. He has mental Spock-like powers. Mm -hmm. His name mm -hmm. sounds like, mm -hmm. uh, sounds like Spock. He can mind meld. Yeah. yeah. Gracker, the captain, is not so obviously William Shatner, but he's certainly like a, a tough gruff manly captain type yeah they specifically say that gracker and snout share a room that, oh that that's room right is pr that room yes. is private yes and when snout is injured and like on the medical bay gracker is messed up yeah and they talk about the captain and snout's specific bond yeah they uh snout almost cries at the end of the book i think he does cry at the end I, of the book. so we're saying there is some sort of romantic connection between oh, yeah. gracker and snout Absolutely, and it's definitely yeah. because they're Spock and Kirk stand-ins. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which we know, uh, Shatner and Nimoy loved each other often. <laughs> uh, well, but the characters loved each other. The characters, other. yes. Right, yeah. right. Uh, the characters were, were deeply in love, mostly off camera and a little bit on camera when they could get away with it. <laughs> I, I enjoy, going back to the looks in the movie, I love that uh, Gracker kind of looks like Psycho Gorman. Are you aware of that movie? <laughs> I know what he, I know the look. I know the the prosthetics yeah. for Psycho Gorman, and yeah, I see it. He's got a real Psycho Gorman look, which uh, I think works for the vibe of Gracker. Yeah, yeah, Gracker looks okay. I thought he was supposed to be green. He was. Well, yeah. I don't know why they made him blue because no one else. Like sometimes, like uh, like I, on on my podcast, I was just talking about Guardians of the Galaxy and how in the comics, they're all every all the aliens are green, mm -hmm. and so they had to just pick different colors for them to be. <laughs> <laughs> so they wouldn't all be green. Uh, but yeah. there's no other green, like Phil being green is fine. He's a plant. That's different. Right. 
Right. Cracker could have been green. It looked like they were just going for like a primary color thing here. Like, cause he got. Yeah. 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 Well, also speaking of uh, Phil the plant, I, I thought I should have realized that connection even more. Obviously, there's some Star Trek in here, but the, the points you all are saying, with a, the movie stars William Shatner as the voice of Phil the plant. Yes. Until mm. the sequel, where somehow, by some astounding unbelievable twist of fate they couldn't afford to get him to come back <laughs> and back. so the second one is uh george takei playing Bill whoa <laughs> yeah i thought like do you think they do you think they canonically address it do you think they have to do like the kids will the kids will notice we have to it's, like he's you, in a you, new season or he's yeah, molting or something you you'd have to work to find two men with more different voices <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, it's like, oh, hey, adults. Adults who are watching this with your kids, Star Trek. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very funny. I saw it when this, when this, I'm an, I'm enough of a, a Bruce Covell head that when this movie was announced, I was like excited. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> well, because yeah. I was like, I've thought like when in this whole era of them turning like young adult books into movies, mm-hmm. I was always like, do the aliens ate my homework? Why is no one doing aliens ate right. my homework? Right. And then uh, they did it. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to stop asking for things. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the monkey's paw curled. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I watched the trailer. I checked it out in the the trailer heavily features William Shatner just himself. Talking about how he dubbed over this plant puppet that looks awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly never on set. No one of them ever met Shatner, except maybe at some sort of premiere party that Shatner didn't right, go to, probably. Right. Just guessing. And yeah. it's an easy one to add, add him on to it. But uh, it's cool. When I got, when I, I, I wound up downloading it on my Kindle because I just wanted to have it there and, and throw Cavill some more money. Um, and I was worried that it would be different illustrations because the cover was different than the edition I read mm, as a kid. Right. Uh, but the in the inside illustrations are the same ones, um, and they're great. They are great. That's, That's great. great. I, I didn't realize that was his uh, his partner's illustrations. Like he's married to the illustrator. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's another Covell, so that's got to be who it is. Yeah, she did his. They they did the fir- their first book together. They worked together on the first book that Bruce Covell uh, put out. Actually, like it was like, it was it was a picture book. It was a picture book. So they worked on it. As well, a, yeah, I was, was going to ask like you know what a uh, Marley, um, you know, I, I didn't even give you the full hype up to our audience. Uh, Marley, you're an acclaimed writer uh, with credits on uh, everything from like Thundercats to Mad TV to Right Now Kapow. Uh, you're you're deep in like animation and genre stuff, and like what you brought this book to us. What is your full history with Bruce Coville? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I am currently, uh, yeah, animation writer, producer, done mostly kids or PG, uh, PG stuff. Uh, I did, uh, specifically the versions you're not thinking of if you just say Thundercats or Mad TV, uh, because I, I was Thundercats Roar and the Cartoon Network version of Mad, not Mad TV. I think the, I think the cooler versions, honestly. I know. I'm just saying not, I'm just saying not the ones that you, that would most be meant if you just said. Right. The sure. Right. You'd be about 20 years older if you'd written on the original Thundercats. I would be. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, my, my Covell thing is, so when you guys asked me to come on the, on the podcast, I had to be honest and say that I've never read a full Goosebumps book. I've, I actually have read some Choose Your Own Adventure Goosebumps books, but those mm. are the only ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and which are, I just want to, I'm sure you guys, you guys have done whole episodes about it. So I don't want to take up too much time on no, that. No, please, but, please. But yeah. The thing that's funny to me about the Choose Your Own Adventure Goosebumps is that 
Normally in a choose your own adventure book, if you get to an ending where you die, you know that that's not, that's wrong and you need to go back. But with the Goosebumps ones, it was hard to tell if I was worth going back or not, or if this was the best. It's like, oh, was this the best death I'm going to get? He loves to make you suffer with those books. We've we've experienced many a choose your own Goosebumps and... uh, yeah, you pretty much have no. The only right choice is not to play. Is what? Yeah, we'll go. Right, we'll go. <laughs> a lot of our episodes are going like, well, I think that's the best we're gonna do. So we're transformed as monkeys. We're monkeys now. Fine. Yeah, because cool. like, like I remember one of the the officially branded choose your own adventure books that I remember really well is one where you're a kid on a space station being hunted by a Dracula. <laughs> oh, that we did that one. That one rocks. Wait, we did that one. That one's not even. Wait, is that even an actual Goosebumps one? We no, did no, space no. Space vampire for sure. That's an that's an actual choose your own adventure. Oh, actual choose your own adventure. Yes. So like that. So that is like so real choose your own adventure did horror books. Oh but yeah. There was, oh, but in those there was always a couple options where you live. Right. There were a few ways to defeat the vampire. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's one good ending in most of these choose your own goosebumps, and then the rest are either like uh, sad jokes at your expense or death. <laughs> And that's pretty much it. So yeah, that's my my only experience with Goosebumps is probably the worst way to experience Goosebumps. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm kind of jealous. I'm kind of jealous, to be honest. I kind of wish you had more experience because reading this book was such a delight to be with a writer mm-hmm. who has passion, <laughs> empathy, and true and and true care for the craft is is incredible. It's incredible. And like, look, oh. I'm, look I'm not saying that RL is devoid of all of those things, but but. <laughs> But there is a lot more of like a turning it out f- feel. Whereas this, like, Chad, you like, mess- Chad messaged me today while reading it and said, wow, this is great to have a book with structure. <laughs> Can you just imagine? Oh, man. Yeah, I guess I, I do wish I could compare them better. Because, yeah, well, part of it is if you look at the output, Coville wrote a lot less books. Yeah, I, I was more familiar with, uh, even when you first recommended it, Marley, I, I had never read this one, but I was really into, I didn't realize it was a separate series, the, uh, my, my teacher's an alien. I didn't realize that was different either. That's a, yeah, that is a, a not only a different series, very different tone. Mm. And also get, they, both series get very serious by the end of them. Yeah, I, I had that more as a horror series in my mind. Would you, is that, am I misremembering it? Yeah, yeah. Alien, my teacher's an alien is more of a horror series, especially because in the first book, I have read those also. I like these ones better, which is why I recommended it. But uh, Alien, my teacher's an alien. The very first one is basically Coville trying to do goosebumps because right. the alien is a villain. When the kids uncover the alien, they defeat him, uh, and that they, mm. they end with like we've we've saved the school. But then the second one, my teacher fried my brains. Another mm-hmm. teacher turns out to be an alien and brain zaps the bully. Basically, it's kind of like so you know how this book has has beat Billy Becker, right? Yeah. But then Billy Becker has has Archie, the other villain, the mm-hmm. other bully. Yep. <laughs> so my my teacher's an alien had an Archie kind of character who's just like a big dumb bully. And in the second book, he gets brain zapped and becomes a genius. Oh, yeah. But becoming a genius makes him a good person. Ah, okay. <laughs> because he's sure. like, it, it, it comes with empathy, I guess. Oh, okay. Cavell's really into empathy. Yeah, I could sense that there is look in this book, and I said this to Chad earlier today. There is a discussion of pronouns that is perfect mm-hmm. in this book. It's good. It's a good discussion of it, and it it succinctly puts it in there. The kid's like, 
I'm gonna have to think about that. And then it's like, yeah, do do a little turning on that one, on, on that one, Rod. Paul, do you still have that page up? Perchance, I remember you were talking about it before. I, was just I curious. sure do. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, just just an example. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. the introduction of Tar Gibbons. Tar, yeah. So this is yeah. <laughs> well, we're jumping ahead a little bit. There is a character that is introduced, uh, Tar Gibbons. And Tar Gibbons is from a planet, uh, it's, from, it's from a different planet and has, you know, they don't have male and female genders. They just, they have, I, I, don't even, I don't even know if they explain fully the gender of them. They just say that we don't have that. We don't have male yeah. and a female. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the things I love is the way they explain it is Tar Gibbons says, well, I think I'm going to possibly make up the names, the, the fake words. But That's right. Tar Gibbons is like, well, I'm a farfel. Right. And Rod is like, well, is that more like a girl or more like a boy? And Gibbons is like, well, it's more like a Perkin, if anything. Uh huh. That I love. It's so it's it's great. There's a lot of there's a lot of great linguistic joking with Tar Gibbons throughout this that I really yeah. enjoyed. Uh, so the quote of that I really appreciated that I sent over to chat is, um, okay, I said, just tell me what pronoun to use when I'm talking about him, her, uh, it. I mean, see what I mean? Uh, it will do just fine, said Tar Gibbons. What will do just fine? It will, he repeated. What will? It. Refer to me as an it. That seems pretty rude, I said nervously. Not as rude as calling me a he or she, it said. I sighed and turned back to my volcano. I had to think about this for a while. Perfect. Pretty and good. And it's great. And, 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 and because the book is first-person narration, you even saw in that passage, the narration starts calling Tar Gibbons it from and that from, point on. And from that point uh, on, yep, yeah. never lets up with that, which is great. And they get a, uh, they get a who's on who's on first joke in there, too, which <laughs> yes. is great. I did, so I did notice, like, because, uh, you know, I think if, if Coville was writing this book today, uh, he would have gone with they, uh, mm, they, them mm-hmm, for Tar Gibbons. Sure, right, um, right. But I obviously I think he's he's trying his best and it's a nice scene. But I did notice I caught it one time he says them for Tar Gibbons because it works so much better grammatically. Yeah, because, you know that's why people use it. Mm-hmm. That's great <laughs> because he he never he o- never says he or she. He always says it. But there's one time where it's like and Rod like flew up to Tar Gibbons and then around them and I was like ah I got you got you. it you got uh-huh. there you got there and this but, is written what like 93, 93 something yeah. like that yeah yep. so it, I thought that was and there's a lot of other stuff in here a lot of good little philosophical moments it's great stuff that I think gets across big ideas to a kid and do, isn't talking down to them and like I love that about it because I feel like in Goosebumps they don't tr- he doesn't really try to get across these bigger ideas he just has the kids kind of dismiss things and mm-hmm. move and move on and I love that he has these moments where things have to sink in for the character for a little bit. You know, I, I love that. It was great. Well, one thing, and then uh, I'm I'm happy to just talk through the plot. I love doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted my, the thing that struck me about the writing, because I haven't revisited it in a long, long time. I think I reread, I think the reason I have them so memorized is that I think I reread them all like as an older teenager mm. when I was like, I'm going to read these books mm. from when I was a kid. I think right. I did, um, but not in a long time. And what I was struck by Coville's writing style, which I, I like uh, was he, cause the whole thing's narrated by Rod being like, so I did this and then this happened and I went over here and he mm-hmm. has Rod just constantly say, you know, or uh-huh. like, you know how it is, or you know, the look your mom gives you, or you know how, when your friend says this and it's great because it's a, just how young people and talk, but also it's like bringing the, the kid reading the book in. It's right. being like, and my mom yeah. gave me a look. You know the one. I'm right. a kid like you. We're talking on the same level. Right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spell out what that look like looks like. I'm gonna let you fill it in, and then your world becomes a part of my world, and we connect. The, we're connected even. The more. voices, yeah. The voice and dialogue also just seems a lot more, I guess, adoring towards like youth. Well, yes. With like the with like the siblings, like he has problems with the siblings, yeah. but he talks about loving them in it, which is nice. 
Mm-hmm. There's something like the the characters of, and we can kind of use this made transition into to lean at the I, basic plot. I do want to I do want to ask real quick, yes. Marley, have you read Goblins in the Castle by Coville? <sighs> you know, I kind of think I haven't. I don't know why because it, I know of it and I've read like all his other books, but I actually don't think I have read those ones. It, it kicks ass. Check it out. I read that as a kid. There's a sequence in it that I still think about to this day that was very scary. And but it's not a really scary book, but there's a scary, creepy, claustrophobic yeah. sequence that really. The what actually me. the 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 Coville facilitated horror that's really stuck with me as a kid is he would also edit anthologies. Mm. Oh, so he he edited. He would like stick his name on anthologies of like young adult uh, horror or fantasy stories. Cool. And a couple of the stories from his horror one really messed me up as a kid but he didn't actually write them okay cool but but he he was part of the he editing pe- yeah process he picked them he, he cool. knew he i think he was better at picking truly scary stories than actually writing them. right cool sure sure that's a skill in itself that's yeah that's really rad i cut in on you chad i'm sorry go please go on I oh no no i was just gonna say just the i mean using this as an example but the very basic start of this story it feels very goosebumps in that it is uh, we are we are following our main character Rod, mm-hmm. uh, who is caught up. Like this kid is juggling a bunch of stuff. He is bullied. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has he has multiple bullies, uh, Arnie and uh, Billy, I believe. Yep. Who uh, who put bugs in his hair? Oh yeah, Arnie said. I you're right. I said Archie. It's Arnie. Arnie, right? Yeah. And I don't remember which one was the kid most likely to spend time in prison, which I thought was a hilarious end of year title to get was kid kid most likely to spend time in prison was, was yeah mm-hmm. that, that was mm-hmm. that was arnie's title before billy before showed up. he even showed up oh my goodness yeah even even that was just enough of a like i found just that kind of nature of yeah there's described it like arnie was a as a small guy but he was the main bully and then when billy came into town arnie came to went to number two he was he was billy's dragon billy did yeah. the prison move where billy showed up and attacked the most the biggest yeah kid. <laughs> well because well, yeah the, the idea and they set this up right away is that arnie was the bully because he was the biggest kid right and then mm-hmm. billy shows up he's the shortest kid by a lot mm-hmm. right right and they, and they specifically say he's beaten up every boy and half the girls in school <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty extreme for a yeah. middle school middle school bully. <laughs> pretty cruel, I would say. Yeah, I would say. And our main character, uh, Rod, is dealing with basically like babysitting his twin siblings. Thing one and thing two. Thing one and thing two because they luck the cat in the hat. This is the right level of like pop culture references inside the world. Right. I thought, yeah. Of like. These kids know these things. Of course they do. This And this book does a great job, too, I think, of staying pretty uh, time agnostic. You know, it doesn't really hit. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of really hilarious uh, wordings that I had to write down because I was like, that's a very that no one says that anymore. So I did. I did write a couple <laughs> down, but it does a pretty good job of saying it. Uh, time agnostic and I think it does like you know Dr. Seuss pretty timeless stuff so it's like yeah I think especially if you think about at the time like writing if he's writing for 10 year olds in 1993 Mm -hmm. he's being careful to not reveal that he doesn't know what they actually like right exactly yeah he's just referencing stuff he knows that he knows the kids are still gonna know right he's not like you know it's 1993 Rod should probably be talking about Nintendo and stuff but Colville probably doesn't know what that is and he knows to stay away (laughs) 
Yeah, you might I messed up and referenced the wrong system. So I was yeah. playing a Jaguar. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's something there's some way that like you didn't start this off of like, okay, our main character has to take care of these kids and he has to do homework. Honestly, the most dated thing in this entire first part of the book is just that Rod has to do a paper mache volcano, which I just assume schools don't do anymore. Yeah. Uh, maybe that maybe that just feels like it's an outdated thing. But the entire time, I felt frustrated on Rod's behalf. He is like, once once aliens quickly land in the in the story, they just crash land through a window in his paper mache goop. That is the inciting incident mm-hmm. that he is juggling these tiny little aliens that are the size of like Lego figures, mm-hmm. uh, his twins. And the dog was a bonehead. Bonehead. Yep. <laughs> and like he, I felt frustrated, but he's not complaining about his family. But I feel like in the RL version, we would have had three chapters in a row just like, oh my God, I can't stand my siblings. Yeah. They're the worst. They just reference, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was a night and day difference. Well, because instead, uh, in like another chapter, you get like the sweetest version of that instead, where he says, I had to tuck the the things into bed. They used to insist on each getting a kiss each night, but I didn't like doing that. So I negotiated to bopping them on the head with their yes. teddy bears one after another. And there's an illustration of him bopping yeah. the three-year-olds with the teddy bears. It's a really caring image. I was thrown by it. And then he goes, and then I had to go give my mom a kiss. I tried to get her into a bop situation, but she wouldn't have it. <laughs> I love it. It it makes it makes our main character likable, which is a surprise in, to to, to a, a, a normal Goosebumps reader. Uh, which is it's incredible because it's just you know building empathy and like you said, Marley, like having the moments uh, where it lets the reader kind of fill in the gaps of Rod's life with their own, so that they so that they're kind of like ex- they're having a little extra empathy for this kid, you know. Well, yeah, even even stuff like. You know, the fact that a big plot point in this is that, you know, Rod's mom is a single mother. They're like, yeah, they're not like in poverty, but money's an issue for them. They're not as rich mm-hmm. as the other kids at Rod's school. Yep. Uh, and even when his friend uh, Mickey, right, calls and wants him to come over, who wants to come over and Rod mm-hmm. doesn't want him to come over because he'll see the aliens. What he says is, I just told yes. him it's not a good time right now. Mickey understands. Sometimes it's not a good time at his house. Sometimes it's not a good time at my house. He knows I'll tell him later if I like need to. Yep. That felt really real. Rod is emotionally intelligent <laughs> and <laughs> and has and his friend has emotional intelligence too. It's be- it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh <laughs> uh yeah, and so then yeah, meanwhile, uh this little Lego-sized uh Captain Gracker full on takes out a gun, points it to Rod's head and says, "You've been deputized <laughs> into the Galactic Patrol. Help me catch a wanted felon or I will arrest you and drag you off into space." <laughs> Stakes established. Stakes are there. <laughs> yeah. The most most of our initial adventure with these aliens is with Rod having a tiny gun planted to the side of his temple, <laughs> yeah. knowing that it'll just bore through him. He gets shot with it in the earlobe and has his ear pierced, which I thought was a hilarious moment because he's like, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble for having my ear pierced. They stick a stud <laughs> in it. And I'm like, listen, kid, that's going to be one, be more obvious. Two, that shit ain't closing up until you get that stud out of there. You're making, you're making <laughs> things worse for yourself. Also, I, I really like that because Gracker points the gun at him and fires... And then it goes through his ear and he's like, ow, my ear. And then the narration is like, well, one second ago, I thought I was going to die. And now I'm complaining about my ear. Uh-huh. Wow, your priorities, huh? Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, we, we also like, yeah, it, it's just kind of like right into the adventure. Like yeah. it's not any certain reason why 
Rod is there. It is just, we've crash landed in your basement. Your paper mache goop might be messed up our systems. We need to repair. And now you are deputized. And the, and the aliens do say they're, they're supposed to be able to grow bigger. And that's what's broken on their ship. Right. What they never explain is why they shrunk down small in the first place. I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, I thought, about it, like, do you travel through space faster? No, it would actually take longer, I would think. Uh-huh. There's never, I mean, I guess it's so they can sneak around, but I don't know. That's the impression I was getting was sneakiness. Yeah, they may, they are sneaking around because they, they right away when the second uh, alien comes out, the diplomat, uh, Madame Pong, I mm-hmm. think. Yes. Uh, what she says is, you have, we're deputizing you, but don't tell anybody because the like council of worlds is not ready to make formal de- diplomatic uh, ties to earth. Oh, I love that. And there's a lot of like talk about like, dark things happening on earth which i love like yeah but it's the same thing where what rod says is oh yeah you're right earth has a lot of problems i've seen the evening news right exactly and, yeah and, <laughs> and basically just lets you the kids supply whatever you think that means there's a great moment i'm gonna jump ahead just to this one line that i wrote down which is um rod is protesting to being taken along on a on an adventure uh, because it's dangerous. And he says, on this planet, we protect children. And M- Madame Pong was silent for a moment. Finally, she said, I don't understand. If you try to protect children, why do you let them live where people are shooting at each other all the time? Fucking incredible. Like, yeah. just like, puts, like, just blast him. And, and Rod is like, <laughs> fuck, you're right. You're right. You're right, Madame Pong. I'm, I'm coming with. <laughs> That's some adult sci-fi stuff. Both the, when are humanity going to get invited into the Federation of Planets, basically. And also a kid's understanding of it. Yeah, because that's where this sort of the other Star Trek thing comes from, is that the mm-hmm. aliens yeah. are f- are from a very Federation style civilization. Right, but Earth is, is Earth isn't part of it yet in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, a lot of the references they say early on, like, oh, we've been like watching in decades of your transmission. So like both uh, like Madame Pong and Rod bond over like Sherlock Holmes for a moment. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so despite them not even being a candidate or the, if they are or not, like the, they're still pretty well versed in human culture. And it does like. a good job of avoiding a lot of those like, it just gets it. It lets them speak in cultural shorthand, which is nice to just get that over with, right? So that we can just yeah, that's true. The aliens are never confused by anything Rod says. No, no, but I feel like that would be the the cliche for most. Like if you had, you know, if you just said like uh, Google, give me a hundred books about kids meet aliens. Ninety five percent of them are going to be very much the jokes of like. What are hot dogs? Are these meat tubes or what? You know, whatever. Uh, like you know, because that's that's good comedy, but that's the go-to. This is just going to be the weird timing of I just watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which is also a mm. movie about one Earth human and a bunch of weird aliens. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But like, even in that, there's the joke where Yondu is floating on his his flying arrow. Oh my god! And, and Peter yeah. Quill is like, "Haha, you look like Mary Poppins." And Yondu's like, "Is he cool?" <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And like you, yeah, that's the kind of joke you would do yep. if the aliens didn't know Earth pop culture. That's right. the high. That's the highest. Pe- that's one of my favorite moments of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is a Mary Poppins, y'all love yeah, that moment. It's good. Um, it's great. It's great. But he doesn't. He doesn't take that route in this, which I don't mind. I think it does a good job. He does have a, again with um with a with. Tar, right? Tar was it? Well, Tar is a t- uh, uh, an honorific, so you have to say Tar Gibbons. Tar Gibbons. Uh, he has like some great like <laughs> moments with like Tar Gibbons saying things that are kind of like Zen cones or like you know like very like uh, wise statements that have like ridiculous syntax or don't mm-hmm. don't quite make sense or relying on some stuff. 
there's a great part where someone calls someone a flapping food sucker. I didn't write down who it was, but I thought that was a, an incredible, incredible. <laughs> yeah, answer. that's that's good. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've kind of I think we've referenced all of them. But yeah, the aliens are Gracker, who's like a, a angry, violent space captain who does have some. I don't I think they explain it more in the other books, but he has these modules in the back of the, his head. That yeah. De- that determine his temperament, which which raises a lot of moral questions for Madame Pong. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, I was because. Madam Pong's just like changing his personality by switching out modules. <laughs> and it's it's shown that there are ones that that uh, Gracker likes more than others, which we will get to. Uh, so yes. I, it doesn't seem like he's fully against this, but it is strange that she is able to manipulate him so easily. Yeah, and then Madam totally. Pong is the diplomat. She's actually, I guess she's the one that doesn't have a s- incredibly, a perfectly strong Star Trek analogy. Because I mean, mm. I guess she's- uh, uh, like, like Leanna Troy, uh, maybe, I guess. Yeah, Troy, I guess she's Troy. Sure, um, yeah. A little but bit. She doesn't have, but she doesn't have the empathy sensing powers. That's yes. now right, right. They kind of split them them up a little bit, I guess. But although, you're but right, I guess that's because that... Spock and Troy aren't from the same show. Right, right. So I think like you get a little bit of that split, but Snout definitely is more of like a Spock because uh, it's Snout. I want to see. The, I'll find the book that uh, Snout gives him at the end, which I thought was a funny name for for hit, for what he does. But um, um but yeah, he, and then yeah, so Madame Pong is a diplomat. Then Phil the plant is a uh, a plant with a little a little furry monkey cat named Plink, who's like his like symbiote. <laughs> Yeah, and they say Phil that they say Phil the plant is like looking to find his roots, but it's not a joke. Yeah, well, I it's think not- isn't it isn't it like every time they say things like that, Rod can't tell if it's a joke, and so yes, he just doesn't right. respond. Yeah, like, like Phil's like like Phil's like I got lots of brothers, they're a bunch of nuts, and Rod's like I don't know if that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> he handles it well. I think yeah, Rod, yeah. Rod handles it well. Oh, that's right. Uh, so uh, Snout gives uh, Rod at the end a copy of Secrets of the Mental Masters, which, <laughs> I, which I thought was a, was a fun little book to give him at the end. That's great. Uh, and then, yeah, Tar Gibbons, who we've talked about. And then Snout. I think yeah, that's all of them, right? That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I did see like Snout. Yeah. Snout refers to himself at one point in the book as the ship's. Well, uh, Rod's about to ask. He's like, I'm the ship's mental officer. And Rod asks, is that like being the ship psychologist? And Gracker immediately is like, don't answer. That's classified, which is just kind of a funny thing to be like, we can't even talk about what our titles are. Yeah. Um, Gra- Gra- they actually use that. They He uses the fact that Gracker won't let them tell Rod anything as a way to keep the plot moving and not do worry about the world building too much. Yes. I love that. I love that it because it, it like cuts off moments where there would be exposition so swiftly and leaves a little mystery, leaves a little mystery. Now there are moments where there's one moment in this book that has a, a like a heavy amount of exposition. It's the rocket belt scene. And it, mm. this book does such a good job of not really having exposition-y dialogue that that scene actually stood out to me as being a tough, a tough little read for just where it's only a couple pages where it's very expositiony, but like everything else is like they either cut it off with Gracker or they have it. They have Gracker try to cut it off, and then they do like kind of an end around way of getting to like explaining it, but through like a like a subtler storytelling method, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We we should we can talk about because actually there's a part of that moment too. The the belt that I thought was really really poignant, but to to get to that point, we we. Quickly go into the uh, Rod being now uh, responsible for these miniature aliens. He is threatened with yeah being imprisoned by the Galactic Patrol mm-hmm. if he doesn't cooperate. Uh, 
we we have the titular moment of finding out that they're eating his volcano. Yep. Because they can convert the matter is in its more simplistic structure, which I thought was kind of a cute idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like pulped paper is the best fuel for their replicators. Right. Uh yeah, and it also just seems like you guys just also just eating that raw. That feels like I mean whatever. I can't who's who's supposed to know the alien taste buds. Yeah, they did that that is true. I I I actually think the fact that the aliens actually also eat the homework and it's not just a metaphor is his concession to needing the title. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, the book ha- the book has to be called Aliens Ate My Homework, so I guess they have to eat the homework. Yeah. The editor was either like, you either show me the entire process of the matter being broken down and then converted to a space burrito, or they gotta eat some of this fucking homework. Yeah. Because I do I do think like these books are being pushed into the more marketable like, yes. kids' yeah. book format that they're actually not they're kind of not that book. Right, he didn't start with the title when he made this book. No, I would probably, because I, I, I had missed this one. I think I thought I had read it, but I hadn't. I, I feel like after reading it now, I would have been more into it if it had been called, uh, what I would call it, Rod Seacrest. What is it, Rod, uh, what's this? Albright. Albright. Yeah, well, yeah, like, and the Galactic Patrol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be way more into, oh, boy gets to be a space cop or whatever, like, Fuck yeah, sign me up. Well, especially because every book after this, he is, he goes off into space with them. He is a space cop for the next three books. Right. But that's because we're all cool dorks that would like stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You got to sell this to the kid that's like looking at car books at the Scholastic <laughs> Fair. And he has to see this and be like, that looks kind of cool. You know what I mean? Sure. This just evokes that like Mars needs moms where I'm like, oh, this is for babies. Or right. Whatever. Right. This book has a lot more weight than the title se- would make it seem. Yeah. I mean, the thing the thing that makes it feel like it is legitimately for kids which is fine because it is mm-hmm. it's just that it's it's the story's very simple uh it's very short very little happens with do you think this would even be two episodes of television if you were doing adapting this oh that's a good question i i was thinking about it while i was watching it and i was imagining like the set pieces you would have to do some work and i haven't seen the movie um i feel like they had to do some work to like judge up a couple of the set pieces like the ending is got is great but i feel like there's a little too much hanging out in the house and hanging out in school, you know, like those two mm-hmm. locations. Yeah, I'd be curious how you how you do it, because like uh, I as I watched the trailer for Aliens Ate My Homework. Don't want to pick on a production too much. I understand no, their no. budgets, but it does seem like wow, we uh, we ran out of sets for sci-fi, <laughs> and now they are just kind of in like a a tarp room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel for them. I'm sure that was a you know a lower budget production, but it yeah. feels like this would actually be a, this would almost be better as like an animated. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably partly thinking that just because animation's my, that's where I work, but I feel like yeah. this this would really work great as an animated show. <laughs> yeah, it would. It would, uh, like, it, you need that ability for, the, the changing the changing of the scale of everything I feel like mm-hmm. is really tough you know because there's a lot of that in this book uh, yeah I think it would definitely work better as an animation so uh, yeah so get in touch Coville we're we're available <laughs> we will work yeah. on this we will we will gladly work on this book let us know yeah we said that they are hunting a notorious criminal referred to as BKR mm-hmm. which I just kept reading as the BTK killer every time oh yeah oh, I, what I love is that the, for, when Madame Pong says BKR, it's written out in, in all caps, B, K, and R. But mm-hmm. then immediately in like a parenthetical, Rod's narration goes, well, she said BKR, the sounds. But later she told me the best mm-hmm. way to write it is the letters. 
<laughs> when I was filling out my police report later. <laughs> I love the idea of justifying how Rod knows how to spell it. <laughs> he does a decent amount of that in this book too, where he like, where he's like, "We discuss this later." I, yeah, yeah. I, trust me, I'm not speaking out of my ass here. I did. They, yeah. they, we, we did. I did. I did my homework with these aliens. Uh, I actually read re- reading this and knowing that I really re- loved these books as a kid, and then I I bet I bet his writing style and his other books is similar. I actually think I might have picked up from Bruce Coville the unnecessary use of parentheses, uh-huh. dude. Because uh-huh. I do that. It's just he has a lot of times where it's like it it really is its own sentence. It doesn't need the parentheses at all. The parentheses are just to show you it's an aside. My my man, I love an extra parenthetical or two in the, in a sentence. A parenthetical is funnier than another sentence. Let's. Admit, it's yeah, the, it's no, the, I think he's right, but I just I, I do it too, and I bet I do it because of him. Yeah, definitely. The, pa- the power of an extra parenthetical to me is this is going to date me as a reference, but the old SNL Kevin Nealon bits. Um, oh yeah, of yeah, like yeah. saying a second thing very quickly out of the side of your mouth. That is the power of the parenthetical. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it, it's very effective, but I I didn't realize that this is probably where I got it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're they're trying to get BKR, and the aliens actually already know that BKR has been living on Earth for 12 years, mm-hmm. and that his human alias is Becker, and Rod's main bill- bully, the little guy, is Billy Becker. Yep. So Rod is like, Billy Becker's dad is an evil alien. That's why he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they, they go to explore it the next day. They're like, all right, we're going to go to school, and I think they're... They're at school to get some reconnaissance, but there's also they're also currently searching for the device that will allow them to scale back up to their full size. And during the day, Gracker is stolen by Billy, right? Billy steals it, not Arnie. I don't, no, Arnie steals Arnie it. Do, okay, Arnie does steal it. So Arnie steals the thinking it's a toy. Uh, and then for the rest of the day, so Billy and Arnie sneak up on Rod all the time and beat him up. For the rest of the day, the aliens go full SEAL Team 6, and they're like in... <laughs> They're in Rod's ear, like, helping him dodge punches. They're altering time so that he could dodge punches. He d- he dodges a punch that Arnie throws that breaks Arnie's hand, uh, yeah. which is a fun, brutal moment. And I, I wrote this down. I don't know where this fits into this, but... um. They talk about the interplanetary Huskal, which is a prison, uh, about someone being sent there. That's one of those terms that I was like, no one has said Huskal in at least 40 years. <laughs> um, so they spend the day uh, basically dodging these bullies. They get Gracker back because Gracker escapes, I believe, right? He, he just- yeah, it's it's great. He uh, it's, like, uh, it's like the ending of the live action Alvin and the Chipmunks. Mm-hmm. Um, where uh, Cracker escaping is like uh, my my favorite, maybe only favorite joke from the live action Alvin and the Chipmunks, where uh, David Cross has stolen the Chipmunks and he's gonna work. He's got them in a cat carrier and he's gonna work them to death. And mm-hmm. he drives off, uh, and then Dave is like, "I gotta save him. I gotta save the Chipmunks." And then the Chipmunks are just there in the car next to him, and they're like, "Yeah, let's get him, Dave." And they're like, "We're talking Chipmunks. We can escape a cat carrier. It's not a big deal." And that's the movie's end. It's over. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, side side tangent, Marley. Is that the same Alvin the Chipmunks movie where <laughs> out of where it was one of the sequels where our, uh, uh probably someone you've also worked with, uh Eric Bowza voice actor uh cameos as a gopher that saves the day for a moment? Do you remember that? Oh man, like a wait, an, an actual gopher animal? Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. It's, no, I haven't. I've only I've only seen the first one, and I, that doesn't happen in that one. That's great. I thought it was that. I thought it was that scene. Is in the it's like a car chase where they are definitely doing something very similar to how you described. They're going through the streets, and then out of nowhere, a sewer lid opens up like a Ninja Turtle, and they CG Gopher 
uh, voiced by Eric Bauza, uh, is like, oh, hey, Alvin, I'm helping you out. And the, and the, and the <laughs> lid, like, causes the car to get out of traffic. And that gopher was a mascot that NASCAR was trying to use. It was like oh a... Oh, my God. Like, this gopher, like, lived at the Indy 500 or something, and it's just a force. The Michelin man might have shown... Must have just shown <laughs> yeah, right. like, here you go. And then it just... The album showman goes, thanks, gopher, you're our best friend! And then they never see them ever again. That's it's amazing. It's a wild force moment. Sorry. Cool. So it just... You, you triggered that memory. You, you, you gotta watch an Al- every Alvin and Chipmunks movie, because each one has one good... A joke <laughs> <laughs> sorry you were, you were saying uh but anyways that's basically what happens with gracker they make a big deal about arnie grabbing him but like he's a man he's a fl- he's got a flight he's got a he flight vest he he's has got a rocket gun. yeah he just frees himself he escapes <laughs> and he comes back and 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 arnie and billy know that something's up uh mm-hmm. but they can't they can't prove it that day at school so we we go home uh, we find out about, uh, find out a little bit more about, well, we find out that Cracker is proof that a commanding officer cannot only rule through fear because people listen to him, but they talk behind his back and they, they defy mm-hmm. his, his orders at all times. But we also find out that, uh, that, that Rod's dad has been gone and he doesn't provide any support. He seemingly disappeared. Mm-hmm. He's just gone completely. And it was at this point that I got nervous that dad was going to have to come back later in the book and it was going to be yeah. a big twist. I'll say it right now. It doesn't happen. And I love that it doesn't happen. I probably happens at some point in this series of books, but well, I, I want to ask Mar. Yeah. I want to ask Marley that I saw the third book that has, was, was the search for snout in the UK was redubbed alien stole my dad. Mm. Yeah. So the, the, it's not totally insane that I keep thinking about guardians of the galaxy. Uh, right. When, when talking about this, cause it is that same base. It turns out his, the, his dad is gone. Cause his dad went to space. Yeah. I figured it was something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he was a human. I forget if his dad's actually an alien, but definitely his dad is in space. Yeah. I figured there was, huh. I assume there was something going on with that. And this story is very simple. Like we said, there's not a lot of things you don't see coming, but I was happy that they didn't do that. I was just, it was nice not, maybe because it's just so common now in most of the things that we see. Uh, it was just nice not to have that moment. Yeah, it's cool. And you, uh, the other, uh, just talking about them, like explaining things in a way that's very effective for kids, but also pretty deep. Uh, somewhere around here is when Rod finally is like, no, you got to tell me what BKR's crime is. Like, what is, right. what's, <laughs> what's, what's, what am I getting myself into? And they go, just keep saying that his crime is the great, the greatest, maybe only true crime. There, it seems like there's two crimes in the galactic society. One is disobeying an order from Gracker, which gets you immediately thrown uh-huh. in jail forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, or, or, or executed if he feels like it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the only other crime is just cruelty just cruel. doing something it. for a cruel reason and as as madam pong says millions have wept yeah every time uh and i feel like it's great because basically what they're i feel like the implication here is that bkr is essentially a serial killer but he can't he can't <laughs> say that in this kid's book <laughs> right bkr is is on some is on some uh mass killing dictator shit right now yeah uh but yeah it's it's bad it's definitely pretty it definitely he's laying low on earth so he's just smushing bugs in a kid's hair but in space he was doing something really bad he was doing bad shit and i love it madame pong brings back this line later that millions have wept so the only thing she says in like how bad has it been which i think at that point rod responds make it a million and one uh-huh yep <laughs> Well, I, that's why I, the cruelty thing was really sticking out to me. I loved that. 
I mean, it's also kind of hits that Star Trek thing of like an optimistic federation where no one is, you know, doing evil shit if they can help it. Yeah, but it does get in the later books, it gets more philosophical because like Madame Pong says, like there is suffering in the universe and sometimes bad things have to happen. But Mm -hmm. cruelty, doing something, taking pleasure from hurting other people, that's the greatest crime uh, in, in the universe. And I forget the exact way this plays out, but in the later books, I think Rod's cousin winds up like stowing a board. And is mm. involved. That's El- Elspeth Albright. And I think there's a point where the aliens are having a discussion about jettisoning her into space. Whoa! <laughs> Be- because she's like a, she's a stowaway, and it doesn't. And I I believe what happens is Rod is like, "How can you be talking about this? I thought cruelty was like the main thing you guys never do." Yeah. And Madame Pong basically is like, "Well, we don't want to do it. <laughs> we didn't like to do it. Yeah, it's not cruel because we are also sorry this is happening." Uh-huh. <laughs> I I. I, I I was trying to, as I read that part, I was like, I want to see if I can apply this to, like, would life be better if that was our main thing? If cruelty was the, the primal cardinal sin. Yeah. I mean, I think, what, I think what would happen is you would just get a lot of really horrible political debates about was this awful thing so justified it's not yeah. cruel. Yeah, true. Yeah. True, true. I, I do think we're missing one uh, character feature that we haven't talked about with Rod, and it's that Rod is incapable of lying. Oh, right. And that's, I think, a very important thing as we approach the near nearing the end of the story-ish, is that he's incapable of lying. He had an issue with where he lied to his mom at an, uh, at an early age, and she punished him. And ever since then, he has been, you know, almost Pavlovianly uh, reluctant to lie because he thinks about the extremely dry cookie that he stole. Uh, yeah, and, he and just and cannot lie. He cannot lie. So that's a thing. And now he's got aliens in his house that live with him, and he has to find ways to not lie, but bend the truth a little bit, right? Or to use the truth in uh, creative ways, which is something that Madame Pong is sort of teaching him throughout this book. Yeah, Madame Pong as a diplomat basically teaches him about white lies. White lies, yep. It's it's weird that she's not the leader, honestly. She really is the leader. She's the leader. Yeah, she's the cracker thinks she's the leader, but she's she's running the show for sure. I mean, there's a there's a point when. Gracker makes a promise to BKR, which he cannot break because it's the captain's oath. Yep. And so Pong turns him off because she can break the rules a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's I love I love the dynamic of of Gracker and Pong, and Madame Pong. I think they think it's a great dynamic. Uh, yeah. So they they go home. Uh, and the, and he has um, I, I forget exactly what happens at this moment now. Right. So this is we're transitioning from. I think we've we've discovered that Be- I think Billy they discover is the is the alien, right? Well, well so because they they go to Billy's house. Right. So they go right. home, they go back and forth a lot. Probably my note on this as a script is that they bounce back and forth from his house to other locations and back to his house more times than they probably need to. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Uh but they go uh they they go to Billy's house and they find the turned off androids that are Billy's parents. Yes. So fucking cool. Creepy yeah. drawing in the book too. Yeah, very creepy drawing. Although it is one it's one some of I have some I have some issues with some of his chapter breaks. Uh, because when they open up, <laughs> when they open up the closet, Rod just says, and I opened up the closet and then I screamed. And right. then the chapter ends. And then the next line of the next chapter is the lifeless faces of Billy's parents stared back at me. And I'm like, that's how you end the chapter. Marley, you sweet child. If you only you had read <laughs> a couple more Goosebumps books in your life. <laughs> that is precisely 
how a Goosebumps book chapter ends. Yeah, well, because half the time the next chapter is something that wasn't actually scary, but we needed to make you think it was. Yeah, they don't even hide like a scary thing on the other side of it. They just leave you with the <laughs> they leave you with the cliffhanger and they give you nothing. Uh, but I don't I don't think I don't think he would have even given you the scary thing at the end ever. <laughs> I, I feel for like Bruce Coville, who I'm just gonna guess in my head they had that's not how it works, but they had the same editor. Like, oh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Bruce. <laughs> and 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 Bruce is like, well, I really think the dramatic pause should be after this point. And then like you can hear the editor take a big puff of a cigar on the other side of the phone. Uh-huh. Like, this is how RL does it. If you sold as many books as RL. Well, no, he has 300 books. I have 12. This is how RL does it. And then he has to like change it. Mm-hmm. Precisely how it happened, Chad. Yeah. I I also like when Madame Pong is like well, you would call these androids, but obviously the actual mechanism is much more advanced than that. And I'm like, right. Android doesn't mean a specific technology in English. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to chalk it up to the translator being broken there. That's yeah. Uh-huh. I love this scene. So they break into the house. They realize Billy is, is the alien. Uh, Rod realizes that he's being tortured by an intergalactic alien who also is rich and was born rich. Uh, yeah. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> they they make a big point of saying that. Well, that, oh, you're right because that's when the cruelty thing comes up. Right, Pong is like, oh no, he's rich. He was born rich, and Rod's like, but you said he was a criminal. And they're like, yeah, there's worse crimes than stealing. And Rod's like, uh, I'm an American, so I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that Rod just assumed he was stealing things since they didn't tell him what he was doing. Are we already at this point? I just want to, uh, the where they are, that we already did the jetpack scene. Did that already happen? So no, that hasn't happened yet. So this is the TV okay, scene, yeah. which I thought was really right. cool, where they find, they're trying to find his basically bag of holding is what they're mm-hmm. looking for. Uh, and uh, energy is the currency in the in the universe, which is a cool concept. Yeah, yeah. Gracker's like, who cares about gold? You can't do anything with it. Yeah, I love it. I love that. <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great little moment. And they find that his bag of holding ish type thing, his infinite space where he stores his stuff, is behind the TV. They cut out the window. He sticks his head through the portal that leads to another dimension. Essentially, uh, talks about how his blood is flowing between two dimensions currently, which was a cool just concept in uh, in that moment. Yeah, uh-huh. and then that's when Billy uh, Billy comes home, jams them all into the space, and traps them briefly. And there's a great moment of like he's going to release, basically release the airlock, sending them into the garbage dimension where there's no mm-hmm. air. Uh, really cool scare. Uh, they do escape. They get into the ship. Uh, and then this is where Rod is shrunk down. And this, I think, is the cool. So I th- I'm totally with you, Marley. I think they go back and forth between normal locations too much. Mm-hmm. But then they go here and we get a, we get the tour of the ship, which is a really fun sci-fi sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Rod shrunk down on the ship. And that's this gives you a little sense of what all the other books are like, because in every other book, they're on the ship in an alien place and Rod's the same size as them. Oh, okay, cool. say, I'm, I'm assuming they're back to normal. Yeah, they're normal size for the rest of the books. They're not like, well, the shrinking is is the core mechanic of this series. Right. Yeah, they, they definitely remember that the ship can shrink and I'm sure it comes up. But yeah, they're what at any rate, Rod's doing whatever they're doing for the rest of the books. Right, right. I, I really liked how this part of the ship, like, they kind of do this. It felt, it reminded me of Mass Effect a little bit, right? Where you yes. go around and, like, everyone's got their own different sections. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. This is where, this yeah, where Jack yeah. hangs out. She likes to stay by the engines where it's all loud. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, Rod has to do his little companion scenes with everybody. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's it's nice. It's a nice. This is where we first meet Plank too, who I love, uh, and mm-hmm. so we get that we get to have Plank, which is the best merchandisable Plank. Uh, I I just like like everyone's room and like you already mentioned like how you can hear but like Gracker has the room that he shares with with Snout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But everyone kind of has like interior. De- everyone got to do like Animal Crossing. Yeah. On the inside of the yeah. room. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Every, it seems like every for the most part, everyone's rooms are made up to be kind of like their planet. Right. Which is even like, even in like Star Trek, they're not doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Like in Star Trek, it's like, well, you kind of just, and everyone in the Federation is kind of, even if it's not a military, it's still kind of militarized. Right. Like everyone's still yeah. got your quarters and ship rules. This just feels a lot more fantastical of like, yeah, in this one room, it's just kind of a swamp where bio bugs are grown for one of them to eat. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a cool idea. Yeah. Also with, with Phil the plant, because they do say that he's traveling to find his roots and you're not sure if it's a joke, but then <clears throat> Madam Pong says... Because of Phil's vow, he views his room as open to anyone if he's not in it. I, dude, I love this. I love this idea of like exploring personal boundaries with the characters. Like they're like, here, we're willing to show you a bit about our life. And I love this idea of like like this vow that this creature has taken. Like there's a lot of mystery for mm-hmm. their backstories, which is established in the in this sequence, which could just be like a boring like physical attributes to remember these characters to differentiate them in their in your mind, but instead we get like a little mystery building, a little world building. It, it's a wonderful sequence. Yeah, it's really great. And yeah, you're right. Like Madame Pong is very like she's like, well, me and Targibbons are here, so we can invite you into our rooms. Mm-hmm. And Phil has a standing invite to everyone, but Gracker and Snout are not here, and so their room is private. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. It's great. It's it's a good move. But it's but I had not even thought about what you said about them being Spock and uh, and Kirk and Kirk. Yeah, uh, I, I hadn't even yeah. thought about that. And I love that idea, and I love the the not going into it because now we get to talk about it, and we don't know if that's true or not. Right? Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I, I really. I wonder if the later books explain their bond more and, mm-hmm. and ruin it by doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah uh but uh yeah no it's 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 great i love i also love uh love plank i love that uh it's also a great bit of like kids book business that the way phil talks is by burping air out of pods on his vines yeah yep, which there's... means that means for the rest of the series you can be like oh no we're in trouble captain burped phil uh-huh i do it's it's fantastic they have some stuff like that i believe there's also like a a moment where Gracker goes nuts. He goes berserk and he's screaming booger, 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 which is just mm-hmm. like, just some fun, just some fun kids. Is that supposed to be a translation thing? Or I, yeah, it I think so. To be? So I think earlier in the book, Gracker said, called something booger. He said like booger as a swear. And right. Rod is like, it made me question the like accuracy of their translation yes. module. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good like kid jokes that are, that are based on, as you said, like, translation errors things like that although a kid does say in this book we're coming up to the point where they say it i hope you pooped your pants and they just straight up say that and i was like that is a type of bravery that rl could only hope to have in his <laughs> <laughs> yeah because uh one of the things th- one of the three-year-olds yeah. says it to the bkr who was trying yeah. to kill them one second was tr- ago trying to kill them and that is their rebuttal it's fantastic we're we're, we're, we're swiftly approaching that point of the story yeah so like they they escape from bkr uh, in the ship and now and Rod is small and they after the uh, walk around and the companion scenes are done uh, an alert comes in that uh, BKR uh, they know what BKR is going to do next he's going to kidnap a member of Rod's family so they head back to Rod's house uh, only to find that his mom is missing 
Um, and the next door neighbor, an older woman that uh, his mom helps to take care of, is over uh, watching the kids. Um, and they they sneak inside with the rockets. And this is where we get the rocket sequence. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to... There was something in this rocket scene I just wanted to talk about where it's yeah. already been kind of dressed on with the... The, the cruelty thing feels like it's still going through here, right? Where they're like, why would you, why, why would they pick one of your family members? It seems just to hurt you. Right. Like it's raw. It's, it's not about like, oh, he, he needs food or he needs a hostage. It's just like, he knows this will emotionally hurt this kid. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that would write into, you know, they're going to use these little these miniature versions of themselves. They parked in like a tree. They're gonna they're gonna have to go off in reconnaissance and put on jetpacks. And Snout does the the Vulcan mind meld. Oh or yes. maybe the, the the Matrix download yeah. of I will I will put my fingers on your head and you will learn how to control the jetpack, which is fun. That's a fun little wish fulfillment fantasy for kids. Yeah. And I, I just thought it was really interesting, like he, you know, Rod kind of instinctively reacts halfway through, and he's shocked to find Snout like hurting on the ground because they had said like don't move specifically because the bond hurts snout if you don't like separate correctly Mm -hmm. um but they but even snout's like i forgive you you didn't do this intentionally just that idea of like cruelty being this metric on everything i thought was really interesting yeah and setting him as like a foil to bkr and everything right like it's just it's a great moment for just for establishing some of that stuff i do think that uh, again i think that they go in a little bit of expositiony stuff as he's like kind of figuring out how the mind meld worked on him how the rocket belt works but it's fine. It's totally fine. There's a lot going on here, right? Like, yeah, get- and and some of the snout stuff is because even in this book, they reveal that snout can slow down time, right? And so, like, like it's always the case in these kind of stories, they had to knock snout out for a minute so there'd be some more stakes. Yeah, snout's a little bit too strong. Yeah, yeah. A little op. Um, so they go out, they fly in, and they um, they see the the neighbor taking care of the kids. They notice that the kids are androids. Uh, and they are uh, ter- terrible facsimiles of the children. Yeah, he. Di- I don't think he explains what's wrong with them. I think this is another good case of asking the kid to imagine. He just says right. that like it would fool no one if their eyes worked. Like the yes. old woman is only fooled because she can't see that well. I was picturing like, uh, do you guys ever see? I think this was the remake of Hill House, where like. They they're watching on the film footage of like a doctor down in the in the dungeon, mm-hmm. and they kind of moves in this like he moves like someone who's like a street performer. This uh-huh. is a very deep cut. Yeah, yeah. But like just the the unnatural walking that is makes it so scary. Right. Uh, yeah. I was picturing kind of that movement. Ooh, that's yeah. creepy. Ooh. I think. Uh, yeah, I like that. Uh, and then I don't remember the exact timing of this. I think we might have skipped this part. At some point, BKR throws them in a lunchbox. Oh, that's coming up. So what they okay, they, okay, cool. Yeah, they distract the dog. They go out. They realize that they're gonna. They realize that the kids are being are the ones who are kidnapped. So they go out. I think they get a message. They find a message from um, BKR saying that he has them in uh, seldom seen, which is a right. Is it seldom seen? Yeah, the farm the dad has. Yeah, seldom seen is an area of the farm that they live on that uh, that uh, Rod's grandfather showed him. So they and he also he took BKR there at some point trying to befriend him earlier on in the in yeah. the uh, in the year. and this is this is autobiographical. Uh, Covell grew up on his grandparents' dairy farm outside Syracuse, New York. Cool. I love that. Oh, that's, that's nice. What a nice detail. Uh, so they, they, he takes them out to seldom scene. And we have a really cool sequence here where uh, the kids are being held in the air, uh, the thing one and thing two, over a flaming purple pit. Uh, and BKR... <laughs> 
uh, sky rights with magic, with magic, <laughs> yeah. with magic flame, uh, a, a scary message to, <laughs> to the to the ship, uh, and then they have to fight them, and they that's when they decide they're going to surrender. And as we talked about earlier, Gracker makes a, a type of surrender that he is bound to, so that uh, BKR will agree to it. Uh, but Madame Pong has a plan. The bioscan doesn't pick up all the life forms on the ship. And Phil the Plant is going to stay behind and, and command the ship while they're off and they and without BKR knowing. And, and the way Madame uh, Pong's like twisting of the truth works is BKR said, I want your whole swear to me that your whole crew will exit the ship. But then he also said, I'm registering six life forms. Right. And they know that there's seven of them. Right. Cracker has to follow the intent of the oath, which is all of them. But Madame yeah. Pong can be he only knows about six of us. <laughs> She is a diplomat. It's very like pirate bargaining or something. Uh, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's cool. Man and Pong is cool because she breaks yeah. the rules. She lies. She's a liar and it's cool. <laughs> she's she's our liar. Yeah. Uh so they, they pull their trickery, but uh they are still captured. I believe uh Rod is questioned uh by BKR and is incapable of lying. He tries like hell, but he can't do it. Uh, and they are captured, and this is after the kids are released, and they and they tell uh, BKR that they they hope he poops his pants or pooped his pants. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then they're they're trapped in in a uh, in a lunchbox, and then there's a really scary sequence of him just torturing them in this in the lunchbox. Yeah, he's just shaking it, right? Yeah, just shaking it. And there's things flying all over the place, and up is down, is left is right. Who, who hasn't ever wanted to have a bunch of tiny people in a lunchbox that you could just shake and cruel and cruelly <laughs> shake them? Chad, yeah. if you had these powers, millions would weep. Millions would weep, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes you realize that, like, in some ways, because BKR is someone with a perverted sense of, like, violence and cruelty, but coming from this society that has, like, this amazing, perfect empathy, like, I think they might even say this explicitly in one of the later books, but, like, BKR smushing a bug on Rod's head every day, for mm -hmm. him, I think, was as much about killing the bug. Uh, yes. Like, wow. He's he, yeah. lo he just loves hurting things and kill hurting things and killing things, and he gets just. I think he was just as psyched about smushing a buck. He realizes the bugs are sentient. Yeah. And wants to also. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's fucked up. I do hope he pooped his pants. <laughs> <laughs> it shows some restraint that they don't hit him with some kind of ray that makes with him a poop, poop pants ray. Right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 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 Maybe in the Netflix movie they pulled that out. Yeah, they, uh, uh, yeah. I hope they did. Yeah, you find out that 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 Ray Gracker was pointing at Rod this whole time. That's what it would have done. <laughs> it's a it's a brown it's a brown it's a brown ray. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they are tortured for a bit, and then after the torturing grows old, PKR takes them back to uh, to his house, um, and then they now this is the Chad Quant portion of the story. Where uh, Madame Pong sorry, realizes, I'm sorry. Madame Pong realizes that <laughs> that the only way they're going to do this is to resort is the final resort. They have to escape this thing. She decides to put Berserker module into Gracker. Gracker is pumped about Berserker module. <laughs> yeah, and it's great because, and well, and it's also it's extra cool. It shows you that Gracker's personality is always there no matter what module yeah. is in because he yeah. currently has uh -huh. the like docile module in to like yep. let him go along with this, but. Docile Gracker is like, ah, yes, Berserker. 
excellent. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a great moment. And I just thought, Chad, that you love Berserkers. And he goes, Berserker. He goes, he goes, Oh, yes, of course. And it just was a moment where like she te- she inserts it and tells him, wall, wall bad. And and Berserker, <laughs> Berserker Gracker destroys the wall as best he can. Gracker does knock the, the lunchbox off of the table. Uh, releasing them from it, and then this is when the uh, the fracas ensues, and uh, Rod sees the ship. I think also within the lunchbox, they discover the thing they were looking for, the piece that they were looking for to fix their ship. Yeah, because it's one of the thing's lunchboxes, so it turns out one of the three-year-olds had the thing, the whole the, the piece the whole time. Yeah, and thought it was a toy, which is a fun little, it was always, it was right there the whole time. Yeah, uh, I'm not even mad at a, a three-year-old for picking that up and no, taking it. No, it, they, they did tell the evil villain to poop its pants, so I think that they're, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all a, valid. It's a wash. Yeah. Uh, so they, they so Rod is, is making a beeline to try and, uh, and try and get this thing reinserted into the ship, which uh, Phil is still in, so that he can use the ray to, bring them back up to normal size. Um, and then we have a dual fight of Gracker attacking BKR. I believe uh, Targibbons also attacks BKR while this is happening. And uh, there's a great moment uh, where where Rod is trying to climb the ship and he can't use his rocket because he doesn't want to draw the attention of BKR. And he has to climb and he falls a couple of times because he's, as has been told, he's very clumsy. And there's a great moment where he thinks about his dad and his dad taking him mountain climbing and how he wasn't capable of doing it. He was too scared, but he did watch his dad and did learn from his father how to climb. Uh, and he uses those things to climb onto the top, which ultimately doesn't matter because BKR does notice him at the top and has a ray, ray gun pointed at him and then Madame Pong and there's a showdown and Rod is on top of the ship with the device, but he can't put it in. Because there's a gun pointed at him, a ray gun pointed at him by B- BKR, who tells him that he to give up, to surrender. And if he surrenders, he will tell him about his father. And mm-hmm. then we have a little bit of yelling back and forth, people saying not to trust him. And uh, Rod just ultimately decides, like, he could tell me about his dad, but he's probably lying. He's cruel. Most likely, but he does. I, I I've got this part now because oh when, yeah, uh, uh, where the way it gets, it does get pretty intense because BKR says he's waiting for you, Rod. Said BKR, yep. waiting for you out there. I can take you to him. I can show you things, Rod. I can show you the stars. I can take you where you belong. And yeah. then Rod thinks it was ridiculous. BKR couldn't possibly know where my father was. It was as impossible as as. As what? As aliens flying through my window? As me being two inches tall? I shivered. Was anything really impossible? Mm-hmm. Mm. Deep. Shit's deep. It's also very Star very Star Lord there, right? Like, you have a secret destiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I also, I love, so uh, you find out that Billy, Billy Becker was wearing a mask the whole time. BKR has blue skin and spiky hair. Oh, uh, that's right. And, and as Rod's looking down at him, because BKR is really defeated now, and he's just saying, like, switch sides, Rod. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, Rod thinks BKR was still on his knees. He didn't look like the cruelest being in the galaxy now, just a weird guy with blue skin and a spiky head. But I remembered the words of Madame Pong, millions have wept. They bring it back. (laughs) They bring back the millions have wept. I love that. I I love they pull that line back. It's such a good Uh, moment. It's a great moment. Uh, he logics it out, realizes that he's probably being lied to. And even if he wasn't being lied to, it's not worth him finding out about his dad to sacrifice everybody else so he goes for it they put the device in uh i do i believe he gets jump kicked by tar gibbons yeah i think at the same time tar tar there's a great illustration of tiny little tar gibbons just doing it's like tar gibbons master of karate 
does a flying kick uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> into BKR's ankle. Yeah, yeah knocks him down. They jack him up. And then, yeah, I think it's once, basically, it's once they have the ship at full size, they they just can win. They blow up They blow up his, build, his house. They expand the ship to full size inside BKR's house. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> and it, does, it, it KOs them. Uh, we do, uh, then Rod is, t- is tasked with finding the survivors amongst the rubble. A dark, <laughs> a dark task for a child, but, yeah. but he's, he, he's given the task and he, he finds the, he finds the, it's in a sa- very sad moment, finds the body of Gracker and Plink, uh, in the lunchbox. Uh, they've been recaptured during the fight and he sees the arm of Gracker. Very, very sad. He, he brings Snout over, Snout carries them up to the ship and then, uh, Rod grabs BKR and takes him to the ship as well. They go to the to the infirmary section, the the medical ward or medical bay, and uh, everyone's being healed. They strap down BKR so that he can be healed because they are not cruel. And mm-hmm. but also but taken away to be put in his prison or taken to the uh, what was it called again? The Huskow. The the Huskow. Yeah, they take him uh, to the Huskow. Uh, and 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 now yeah, they talk about how important it is for them to try to save Gracker. Right. Uh, and when and when they put him on the healing bed. Uh, Gracker like barely wakes up. Oh, his eyes flutter open. It says, and he says, "Bad wall." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. Snout smiles and bursts into tears. Bursts into tears. To be all right. Aww. He whispers, and they don't say anything about Plink until the fucking end of the book. It <laughs> left me. They left me in the lurch. They, 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 they held Plink over my head and made me read through to the end to make sure Plink was okay. Plink is fine. Plink is fine. Plink, is uh, Plink, Plink is uh, I guess Plink is the the Groot of uh of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely the pet, right? <laughs> yeah, of this mm-hmm. adult thing. But mm-hmm. he also like he's like intel. Like Plink's symbiotic purpose is to like run and get tools for Phil. So like he's smart. He knows like which yeah. wrench Phil needs. Mm-hmm. I love that little scene about their like the 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 description of their of how they work together. It was a beautiful little moment. Uh, and then uh, there is a whole section where Rod has to explain to the police why Billy Becker's house exploded. That was great. The shakedown. <laughs> the shakedown by the police. Yeah. I love. I love that they like. They're like. They're doing that FBI shit where they know information that that, that they are acting like they don't know, and they're like. Yeah. They're like. Ta- asking all these questions about it and they're like oh uh you're also working on a volcano right for school and billy's like or rod is like uh yeah yeah how'd you know that and they're like then you know about explosives and and, and like <laughs> yeah, i love that they're accusing him of blowing up the house with his volcano technology <laughs> yeah <laughs> this was the 90s and every kid had the anarchist cookbook and knew that you could yep. combine like Orange juice and gasoline to but, make a bomb. Yep. But then, and, all of and, those and, and also, Arnie, uh, Arnie the bully's father is threatening to sue Rod's mom because Rod st- broke his son's hand. Right, right. In the obvious, he punched the wall because he's an idiot. Yeah, uh, but it, and then but, the way the way the aliens get Rod out of this is they grab uh they grab Billy Becker's fake dad android. Yep. Mm-hmm. They pilot the android, but the way they do it is the android goes to Rod's school, walks into <laughs> class, and says, basically, my son Billy was super fucked up. You all know it. Hey, Arnie, you were his friend? That's messed up. You need serious help like Billy's going to get when we send him away to reform school. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Rod Albright did not blow up my house. Goodbye. <laughs> It's an incredible moment. It, it's just like, 
all right, we're going to clear all this up real quick. And they do it in like three pages. They sum it all up. They get it taken care of. And it's great. They lead off the chapter with the best day of my, lo- my life, but with one really bad moment. And that really bad moment, saying goodbye to the alien friends that he made uh, along the way. Yeah. And it's a sweet little moment. And 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 this is the big reveal where you find mm-hmm. out that one of the things Gracker didn't want uh, Rod to know is that these aliens and basically every sentient species in the known universe are about as high as half a sixth grader. <laughs> right, right. He was afraid and, of the power dynamics would shift if they learned about how yeah, tall so they were. The, right. the reason BKR was pretending to be a very short child is because that's how tall the adult aliens are. Right, right. I think he keeps saying they come up to his like belly button, right? They're, they're little. Yeah, like just above their belly button. And he's like, yeah, they, they're basically talking about how which is interesting that he gets shrunk down and they don't do that. I mean, like, I guess they would have the ability to maybe just blow themselves up. Yeah. So the idea is this comes up in later books, which is that if they're growing or shrinking someone, they can make them whatever height they want. But there's always a your real height setting. Ah, uh, okay. So like, okay. So like, there's a there's a in Dimension X. There, is, Dimension X is the next book, and that that place is ruled by actual giants who are giant mm. by human standards. Okay. And okay. when they defeat that guy and take him prisoner, they do it by shrinking him down. And so then in the next book, they're like taking him to one of the regular galactic patrol cities so mm-hmm. they can like uh, uh, try this giant. But they've used their shrink ray to make the giant the same height as everybody else. So Rod actually is the giant because he's his normal height, which is twice as tall as everyone else. Right, 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 right. I love Gee, it. Okay, yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's that's like when you get when you ever see one of those like toys where it's like not a life size Darth Vader, but it's like two foot tall Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why do I why do I have this tiny little Chucky around in the house? Yeah. Uh so yeah, it's uh, they do a lot of weird stuff with height. Yeah, like that's what they do. In the next book, they don't shrink, they go to a universe where everyone's big. Right. Okay. Dude, I want to read these other books. Yeah, this book was great. I got to say, I hadn't read a a Coville book since probably when I read this or when I read Goblins in the Castle, which I remember loving. But for some reason, I never had the moment you had, Marley, where I was like, I should revisit those. And I'm so glad that we did. Thank you again for bringing this book onto the show. Yeah, thank you, Marley. Thanks for giving me a reason to read, read them again as an adult. I really, I especially... I remembered almost everything in the book, but I especially remembered every illustration. As soon as I would turn the page, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." Too. The the illustrations are great. Yeah, they like I see that I saw those, and I was I couldn't remember if I read this book, and as soon as I saw the first illustration, I remembered that I had. Yeah, one thing that's kind of is because Rod, everyone the the bully calls Rod pudgy. And Rod does say he, the doctors say he needs to lose 10 pounds, but mm-hmm. the illustrations are very kind as to what you would look like if you only needed to lose 10 pounds. He looks fine. <laughs> right. He looks like, yeah, like he's just, a, he's a child that, of, yeah. of, of, of probably average weight, weight, I would assume. Yeah. They're not, they're not trying to make it him like chubby and funny looking at all. Right. Right. I, I very much appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I want to revisit these or either like my teacher's an alien or maybe goblins in the castle. Like Marley, we'll need to have maybe need to have you back for those. Yeah, let me know. I'm I'm happy to talk Coville books anytime. Sick. Uh, also, we should make sure uh, people know. Uh, yeah, you. I think you might have mentioned already during this record, but Marley, you have also stepped into the world of podcasting. Uh, yeah, I've been doing a podcast called uh, Hero Rewatch, where uh, me and my brother do it. I mean, Austin Halpern Grazer. But the our our gimmick is so we're watching Marvel Studios movies like mm-hmm. a million podcasts. But our thing is that I'm 12 years older than Austin. 
So <laughs> he's he's the a like the idea initial idea for it was that when we started this, Iron Man was 12 years old. So we were like, oh, you're the age I was when Iron Man came out. Uh, And we thought it would be cool to go back now that he's that age and I'm, you know, 12 years older than that uh, Mm. and like revisit the movies. But really what the point of the podcast is me and my brother are, you know, very close and very good friends and we love comics and superhero movies, but Mm. I've lived on a separate, he lives in the East Coast. I've lived on a separate coast from him since he was 10. Oh, wow. So so you didn't experience any of these together pretty much. So yeah, we didn't watch them together the first time. And so much of our relationship is talking about these movies and these characters on on the phone that basically we were like, Oh, we could record those conversations. That's great. I love it. I, I also, you had a great interaction uh, that I remember you talking about on Twitter where it was, bre- I think it was a clip you posted was, it was breaking your brother's mind. You were talking about DC and the amount of different crises crises yeah, oh God. Yeah. that have happened. Oh God, yeah. Cause yeah, we were, we were a Marvel household and then I've become a DC expert because I work at Warner brothers animation. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, I think it was the moment when, cause like he was like, Oh yeah, I've read, I've read infinite crisis. And I was like, no, Austin, you've read, I know he's like, I've read Crisis and Infinite Earth. And it was like, no, you've read Infinite Crisis. And he was like, wait, which was that? He's like, well, it's not Final Crisis. And then he was like, stop talking. <laughs> I, I thought of you this week. I think I saw something in my local comic shop trade for like Dark Crisis coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, going to be another one. Yeah, well, the, the Marvel version is they have, I think, four different uh, crossovers called Secret Wars. And some of I, dude, I didn't know that until you pointed out that there was two. Yeah, I didn't realize there was four of them. It's That's a, crazy. It's a, I think it's, yeah, I think it's four. And only some of them are related to each other. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. Uh, and, and again, make sure if you want to check out the podcast, uh, what would be the best way to to find that? Uh, yeah, well, if you if you search Hero Rewatch on any of the podcast platforms that i've heard of uh it'll be there uh and then we're on twitter at uh at hero rewatch podcast probably oh i should know that <laughs> uh, we do this all the time on goosebumps like, what's our email oh no it, it's just at hero rewatch got it uh, so at hero rewatch on twitter uh is a good place to find us also beautiful we just recorded the one for uh guardians volume two we've just we're posting wise uh doctor we're up to doctor strange awesome i i cry every time at guardians too man that one always gets me it's it's, uh, it's good, bad, bad dads, good dads, oh, a lot of uh, metaphorical dads. And all the dads in between. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, watching them, it's been, I mean, you know, people should listen to the podcast, but uh, <laughs> watching them uh, watching them all back to back has has been interesting because it's not something I would ever normally do. Yeah. Uh, and it, it does... It makes you see more the like you can see that Marvel really does plan these movies in phases because mm-hmm, the phases sure. tend to have things in common with each other that then they don't keep doing. Gotcha. Oh, that's interesting. You yeah. can kind of see that like Kevin Feige gets an idea in his head and then that idea is in four movies and then he gets moves on to his next idea. Right. Oh, cool. That's fun. Well, I, I hope people check it out. And uh, I just want to say thanks again for for bringing this book and for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, and then, yeah, also, uh you know, doesn't do me any specific good, but if people want to watch uh, Aquaman King of Atlantis on HBO Max, that's the cartoon I wrote most recently. Do it. It's a super fucking charming cartoon. Uh, it's coming out. I, I see you guys are putting it like on DVD or like Blu-ray too. I'm yeah, just like, yeah, I feel like I'm doing an ad read for you. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> You're better at it than me. I need you. Uh, yes, it's coming out on DVD <laughs> April something. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, 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 lo- I love the style of that, uh, akin to Thundercats Roar, right? Yes, um, yes. It's Vic- Victor Courtright, uh, the, the creator of Thundercats Roar, co-created Aquaman with me. Um, and it will be coming out on DVD sometime, you know, but you'll be at the grocery store and you'll see it and you'll go, that's <laughs> Pick it up. Uh, they still make these things and they'll say, uh, yeah, I guess so. Well, if you bought it from Walmart right now, it would get to you on June 28th. <laughs> Okay. So All some, right. No, here All we go. Right. April twenty sixth. April twenty sixth. DVD and digital. Oh, that's this month. Yeah. Okay. It's soon. Yeah. That's this is a good time to do it. Aquaman, King of Atlantis, swims to DVD and digital. April twenty sixth. <laughs> says says mediaplaynews.com. I thought you I thought you were just cutting a promo for us, right? There. Uh, I yeah, I am. Put it in there. Uh, yeah, it's great. We've got uh, all kinds of cool things. Our Thomas Lennon plays Volko. It's great. That's fantastic. That's great. That's fantastic. Uh, speaking speaking of plugs, uh, also if you want to support this show and get access to bonus episodes, uh, we do every month Camp Goosebuds where we just talk about everything but Goosebumps books. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash goosebuds. Follow us on Twitter at goosebudspod. Uh, Gmail is goosebuds at gmail.com. Paul, am I forgetting anything? I don't know. That's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Kevin, we miss you. Thank you for listening to this audio. Kevin and editing that, we miss you. Thank you for sorting it out, Kevin. Yeah. I think I didn't sort it out. All I right. Well, Marley, thank you again. And until next time, we'll see you guys. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. episode of Goosebuds is brought to you by our wonderful Patreon supporters. They live forever in the Book of Names. The Book of Names. Starting with Stefan Jive Turkey Kuwabara. Hollis Hornbeak. Cameron Murphy Audio. Michael McDowell. Hey Josh Rob. Mickey C. Nathan Dolzall. Kelly C. Mike Lanteri. Buddy Morrill. Alicade. Mel Dipson. Zane Keith. Afshin. Danky McStanky. Lowbelly Hate Me. Dango Twists. Brian Wells. Zentacles drives the Zamboni machine at the Ice Church on weekends. Yes. Zentacles. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I was going to see you get the past this, but I allow it. I allow it. Thank you for keeping the Ice Church smooth. Nice. Stealth Bates. Patrick Reynolds. Robert Moon. Jason Crooker. Clay Castle. Miguel Pardo. John Keedy. Calf. Third Sergio. Chad will make more Paranoia Shop the third. Will I, though? Question mark. <laughs> Sniggy Ishak Arafin Gregory D. Warren Alan Saylor Cody Redfield Bradford Coulter Aiden Alexander Dice Reinfected Jar Jar Slinks Justin Wagman Chosen One Cardboard Walk Levi Fan Up and Champ Jonas Eggman Alicia Grafe Maloyster Carl. Something I love, Broccoli. Hey, pause for a second. I gotta get fall off. I, every time I think my brain's broken. The John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Elusive Koala. Yanni Markovina. Joe. Brooke X. Uh, Bezos Christo, or aka Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a canonically approved version of the pronunciation of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Christian Van Skeever. Drew Applegate. Jeremy Lowe. Brian Hopkins. Zach Connor. Trent Davis. Patreon underscore donator comma yo. Joe quotes spooky digital ghost Tierney. Tom Whittem. Jonas Blatterman. Andrew Jadsack is wondering if Zane Keith can consistently pull off their namesake spinning pile driver move. If so, impressive. Pretty impressive. 
Lord Cornwallis. Carson Birkenbean. Murphy Fee. Paul Grasso. Tevin Ticklebean is your new best friend. Joe, regular name, Scott. Sean Minogue. Rushy Glenn. Ooh, that, that feels like a new one. Have we had a Rushy Glenn that's before? The, that's, a, that's, a, that's an adapted name. Rushy Glenn, love it for you. Wiggle it. John Pigeon Hat Barber. Chip Handsome. Matt McClellan. Vincent Modica. <laughs> My voice cracked. Oh, I know. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I didn't plan for that. You just became a, you just became a real boy. <laughs> it only took 32 years. Luke Canoodles. Hugh Bolin. Zam Bambino. Alex Moon, the robotic dog. Mm-hmm. Sarah Kemp. Tanya Turtle. Brett. Adam, you goofed. Juan Jalapeno. Nathan Remick. Need more kimchi. Keith Halcrow. Timothy Misodolakis. Clay McCarty. Reed Stupendick. Matthew Stevens. Parker Lee. Joey Evans. Ham underscore boat. My name is Kevin. Sometimes I edit Kevin Cole's audio out of the episode and put on a mask of his face and respond to Chad and Paul. Wow, that was lucky and scary. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Carewise Gamgee. Raymond Hernandez. Flemily has BDE, big dwarf energy. Hell yeah. The Crowfens. Matthew Sutton. Uncle Cool Brother. Cameron Hansen. Lee Wood. Jeffrey Owen Cahey. Kelsey Kinneman. Generally depressing. Dom Sexy Ghost, a.k.a. Captain Sick. Russell Castberg. Xavier Jimenez. Brendan Arafin. Liam Neeson's Doe. Liam Neeson's Doe. Liam Neeson's Doe. Been wanting to watch Darkman recently. You should check that out. I don't know what that is. Oh, we'll talk about it. Right. Chris Putricus. Scotty Pippen. Yeah. Ben Bohan. Streak. Meet Virginia. Dungeon Kappa. Boss Garretson? Hey, Eric, it's going to be all right. You're doing a great job. Great job, Eric. Who? <laughs> MC Hamster. Zach Weir. Limp Duck. Alan G. Jessam. Ryan Stewart. Tobias Clark. Michael Kupka. Adam Muth. Jonas Enavoldson. Calamity Carl. Andre Villanueva. Germ Juice. Nick Johnson. Stephen Day. Ryan Carroll. Jeremy Bowser. Estamena, Lord of Paul's Pants. Megan McCormick Mason. The Davy Boy. Kenny M. Ninja Breadman. Dr. Diarrhea. Got little old moi, pretty French. <laughs> Nailed it. That was good. Nice. <laughs> Peanutburg level 69. One of these days, Peanutburg, you're going to get max level. One of these days. Yeah, that's cap is brutal. Kieran McNamara. Diet Soda. Scalafella. Dr. Chocula, close friend of Dr. Diarrhea. Like <laughs> they work together. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Chocula visits you first, and then you visit by Dr. Diarrhea. Yeah, same hospital. Jimmy Soul. Jackie Ledoux. Coleman Laguza. Lamb! <laughs> Moon juice. A pair of Scots. Levi Kidder. David Gray. Bryce Deary. Matthew Brittado. Carb Son. I am Cornholio. I need TP for my bunghole. S.S.J. Trogdor. Some of Chad's bird friends. Nicholas Maloney. Midwest Indigo 13. Mike Spaghetti Jones. Now I'm hungry. Mm. Thomas Jansis. Aaron Lord. Eric Horwitz. Tiffany Lee. Reed Redemption. Dr. Egg Drop Soupman. I prefer Dr. Robotnik Drop Soup. <laughs> a lot but, of doctors. Yeah. We've got a very high level. A lot of doctors. <laughs> what a collegiate podcast. <laughs> Burgers, Tildeful World. Listen, guys, I just think they look nice and make me feel like a manic pixie dream girl. I agree. <laughs> Lucretia McEvil. Elm Realm. Mutant Astronaut. Henry Torbert. 
Chris. Adam Knapp. David Lynch. XXX. Brandon Fraser. 666. Oh, Logan Derby. Brad Schmelzer. Soggy Newspapers. Wagmar Wigmere. Dakota Camp. John W. Chick. Milk Punk hyphenated. Not hyphenated. Milk Punk not hyphenated. (laughs) I was going to say, you are taking liberties there, sir. It's very small font on a very big monitor. Skulletorin. Mr. Misfire. Someday it'll be a Dr. Mr. Misfire. (laughs) We'll all be doctors. Mandy Nasty. Llama Lad. Kiwi of Lerv. Serial Killer X. 976 Evil. Philip Reynolds. Gakenti. Detroit Red. Is Gakenti what that thing that they now say in the Star Wars overdub when when Greedo gets killed? He goes, Gakenti. Oh, man. what uh, McClunky is that. That's McClunky. McClunky. <laughs> <laughs> I just hear Gakenti. In my head, that's what he says now. Nathan Gurney. Ryan R. Davis. McClunky. Scott Wable. <laughs> Kit Bush. Why did he say it? Benjamin Luther. That's what you say when you get shot is McClunky. Edgar's Crassus. <laughs> Put that on my tombstone. Uh, pizza Bagel Rocco. Died of McClunky. Dennis Wright. <laughs> no, just McClunky in quotations. Josh Howell. Jacob Rogers. Mr. Unimportant has good self-esteem. It's just a cool username that's never taken by someone else. Well, glad Smart. to hear that, Mr. Important. That's nice. You'll be a doctor one day. You'll be a doctor one day. Kubo Jackoff. Ali Safe. Liam Rogers. Evan Bowen. Girthworm Jim. Ooh. Cameron Ganseveld. Zach Bentley. Vosivi. Matt Scepter. Greg Gervasi, a.k.a. Vita Zen. Dakota Kipper. Oh, another crack. Hold on, let me try that. Mm. Uh, 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 Dakota Kipper. Dom's dirted down low donger. Anthony Rodriguez. B. Taraku. Greg Musto. Anne Marie. Carlsville, except the pig girl sold all of the lemonade intentionally. Wow. Intra- wow. In- hmm. She reduced her supply. Big brain. Odin's eye hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, gonna have to click on this to see if this link works. Does it work? Does not go anywhere. Uh. All right. <laughs> Welcome new Patreon, www.givekevinmonkeys.com, a link that does not currently work. You know what link does work? Givekevinmoney.com. Try it out. It's fun. But I, if you want to give me monkeys, <laughs> I think that's too big of a responsibility, and I'm not really in the right temperate zone, but... Yo. I appreciate, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate You could it. handle, like, a gibbon. <laughs> I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared to handle Kevin. It's <laughs> a big step. And you know what else is a big step is Spencer Y joining us. Thanks for joining the book of names, Spencer. Welcome, Spencer. Also, welcome to the book of names. Hi. First time, long time. Hi. Welcome, Allie Rose. Welcome, Sprinkle Buns. And welcome, Gelato Coon. That is the book of names. Thank you all for your love and support. Thanks for giving us money or monkeys or however you got here. Thanks for chanting into a dark cave. That that means a lot (laughs) that you did that. We love you all. Goodbye. Is that the plot of Darkman? Flypaper. The work of the people. Owned by the people. Supported by the people. Visit flypaper.fm.